Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie, it's you, Jamie. Don't be alarmed, but I think there's a guy following you. Maybe we should get that guard dog we talked about? Nothing too scary, maybe like a Bichon with an attitude? You know, Progressive's collision insurance covers injured dogs and cats at no extra cost, so... Wait, the guy stood up when I stood up. He's on the phone. He's looking right at me. Oh, wait, it's just my reflection. Don't tell anyone about this. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Pet coverage not available in New Hampshire and North Carolina. Hello there, everyone. We're locked in for another episode, episode three of Locked on Thunder, presented by the Norman Transcript. I'm your host, Fred Katz. Yesterday's show, we touched mostly on Kevin Durant's free agency, who could sign him, what he might be thinking, what strategies he might be taking. You can go to our archive page on Audioboom to listen to that or to episode one. I'll make sure to tweet it out if you can't find it. You'll be able to access all of our episodes there, you know, past ones, future ones, anything else. Today, we'll certainly touch on Duran a little bit. We'll touch on waiters probably, but we're also going to talk young guys, specifically the two they drafted or traded for this past week in DeMontis Sabonis and Daniel Hamilton. And to do that, we have on the line college basketball guru, college, can I call, call you guru extraordinaire, Sam Vicini. Sam, what's going on? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to even call me at this stage. Uh, I just kind of do a lot of NBA draft work, formerly over at CBS Sports. You can go read my draft grades and stuff over there. You can go read uh, anything you need to over there, but uh, I will not be working there in the future. So uh, I would say go there for that and that only. We'll say. And you can, and you can, uh, you can, you can give Sam money to write to write for you as well. Sam does his job very well. Uh, but not, let's not opposed to that. We will say. <laughs> let's let's talk. Let's talk about this. So Kevin Durant actually said Tuesday afternoon when he was talking to reporters in New York for Team USA stuff that he thought the old Depot trade was actually a good one for the Thunder. You can read about that actually on the Thunder Road on Thunder Road, which is our Thunder blog at the Norman Transcript. Sam, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on the deal, specifically regarding Sabonis, which is someone I don't really know as well. I can't really speak to at the expertise level that you can. I'm obviously more of an NBA guy. You still love college, but it's just so hard to keep up with both. You've seen Sabonis play a ton, and I'm wondering what you thought of when the Thunder brought him over at pick number 11. Sure. So I think that you can't really talk about Sabonis without talking about the deal uh, as a whole, right? So what I think happened here is I think that the Magic paid something like $1.50 on the dollar to the Thunder to get Serge Ibaka, given that he's on a one-year deal and everything. Uh, it's, you know how like sometimes they say like 75 cents on a dollar, 50 cents on a dollar for a star or whatever? Yeah. Uh, I think that they actually way overpaid to get Serge Ibaka. That doesn't make it a bad deal for them necessarily. I think that they actually got the exact player that they needed for their system and for the players and personnel that they have. Because if you look at a guy like a Nikola Vucevic, you need a rim protector there. If you look at a guy like Alfred Payton, you need a floor spacer there. So while I think they overpaid, I don't think that it's a deal that will necessarily work out poorly for them. Now, looking at the Thunder side of things, you go out and get a Victor Oladipo that can actually become a two-way player as opposed to the one-way player of Andre Robertson, uh, that's going to be incredibly valuable in between Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. And then the second biggest piece of that deal is obviously Sabonis. And this is where my expertise comes in, I guess. Sabonis is a tough, physical, 6'10", 235 or so pound, uh, you know, power forward center combo who rebounds as well as any player in college basketball. He has terrific touch around the rim. And a lot of teams think he's going to be able to shoot sooner rather than later uh, out to that 15 to 18 foot range. So I think that 
coming into this draft beyond the seniors like Buddy Heald and Chris Dunn, uh, or I guess fourth-year players in Chris Dunn's uh, case, Sabonis is probably the most NBA-ready uh, underclassman to enter this draft. He is uh, just going to be a beast inside uh, pretty much from day one because of his physicality, how fierce he plays the game, how tough he is. Uh, him and Steven Adams are going to just like piss off so many teams playing inside. So something that I wonder about Sabonis is that he's he's a tall guy. I think he 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 was I think he measured at six foot ten, but he doesn't have the longest arms in the world. He doesn't have the tallest standing reach. He doesn't have the longest wingspan. Um, we didn't really see a ton of rim protection from him in college. Is that something that you see improving moving forward, or is his are his dimensions just kind of making that not a possibility going forward? I think that the dimensions are probably going to make that not a possibility moving forward. He's probably not going to be a rim protector. Wasn't really all of all much of one at Gonzaga either. But what he does do is he moves his feet really well on the perimeter defensively. Uh, you look at what he was able to do against BYU this year. Gonzaga used to play him on Kyle Collinsworth, the six foot five, twenty four year old uh, triple double machine who actually has the record all time for triple doubles in college basketball. So it kind of shows his ability to move his feet and be able to kind of do a variety of things on the perimeter and you can put them in different switches and stuff. And I think that's going to play well within the Thunder's defensive scheme. You can put him and Steven Adams on the floor together and not really lose a whole lot in terms of the way that you uh, want to defend and switch these actions and do a lot of different stuff on the perimeter. Well, that's something the Thunder absolutely lost with Ibaka. I mean, look, it, I think Ilyasova is is somewhat, to some degree, an ignored part of the deal if he's going to maintain on the roster. And oh, I agree with that too. Um, I mean, look, Ilyasova, in terms of the role that he's probably going to be playing, I don't think he's all that much of a downgrade from Ibaka. I mean, look, Ibaka is a better athlete. He's a better finisher. Um, you know, Ilyasova's rebounding. He he's historically a good rebounder, but his rebounding in the last couple of years has fallen off. As especially offensively, as he's kind of drifted farther and farther away from the rim and become more of a three point uh, rely, relied more on the three point shot. Uh, but 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 that being said, I mean, Abaka's role was mainly pick and pop, catch and shoot, space the floor, hang around the perimeter. He wasn't rim rolling that much. He wasn't really diving into the paint often at all. It's not like he was posting up. These are roles that Ilyasova can fill, and Abaka shot about 32% from three last year. Ilyasova can do that. Ilyasova is a 37% three-point shooter, and he's not just camping out in the corner either. He can shoot from the wings. Uh, so I, I think he can pretty much give you what you got on offense. Obviously, the big difference is is on the defensive end where, you know, Ibaka was switchy and, and, you know, he was a big reason why the Thunder were able to compete with the Warriors because he could, he could, they could execute that strategy of switching onto a bunch of different guys at different times. And he go out into the perimeter and he could come in and protect the rim. And, and he had a great defensive series against Golden State, which is something that I don't think got as much attention as it deserved in part because Durant was so good on defense uh, that, that he kind of took away some of Ibaka's thunder, no pun intended. Uh, but Jesus. but <laughs> there really was no pun intended there. I promise that was that was a an organic no pun intended situation. Uh, at the same time, do you think that Sabonis is someone you talk about him as one of the more NBA ready underclassmen? Do you think he's somebody that could come in and actually, you know, obviously not making a Baca type of difference, but in terms of his, his just a roll off the bench, just make some sort of uh, difference on both ends of the floor, whether it's for 15 minutes a night as a rookie? 
Yeah, I think that that's more the range you're looking at, like 15 to 20 minutes a night, not as like a full-on starter. Uh, in the NBA, he's just too good of a rebounder. He has too strong of touch around the rim and touch going out to like the 15-foot range right now. And, and he plays so hard. Like, he's going to make an impact in the regular season immediately just because of how hard he plays. And, like, that actually matters in the NBA. Uh, you can get guys by surprise by just out-physicalitying them, even though that's not a word. Just, like, out being, just being uh, outworked by guys sometimes really does matter. It, he's not going to be a Serge Ibaka. Like, let's just kind of make that clear right off the bat. Like, Ibaka is an incredible talent just because of the versatility he allows you to play with. Uh, he allows you to do so many different things, both offensively and defensively, and you're going to lose that two-way ability at least right off the bat. But, as you kind of mentioned with Ursan, you can make that up because Ilyasova can step back and shoot threes. I don't know that he's going to be all that strong of a rebounder. I know he is historically a good rebounder, but... I don't think that's going to extend too, too much farther into his career because, well, A, he's, you know, getting older. He's already 29, uh, and that's a, that's a 29 that might be a little bit older. Uh, let's just sneak that in. Like, there are questions out there about how old our son is. Um, whether or not he's older or not, who knows. But uh, that is a question as far as whether or not his full-on impact will extend into his further later stages of his career. So... I think that what you're getting with him is the ability ability to shoot, the ability to go in and probably crash the offensive glass relatively well, but the rest of what he does is going to rely on shooting, attacking closeouts, and, and kind of just spacing the floor offensively. For sure. Let's let's move on to uh, the other guy the Thunder got. Obviously not expected to make as much of an impact. That's Daniel Hamilton, the Thunder didn't have a draft pick going into Thursday night. They came away with two picks. In case you're missing out on it by now, we're we're a little bit of a we're a week out on doing this, but I didn't start the podcast till Tuesday. So guess what? We're a week out. Who cares? <laughs> they 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 actually bought the 56 pick from Denver, which was originally their pick. They traded that to Randy Foy. Then they bought it back from Denver for I guess what's still an undisclosed amount of money. And they took Daniel Hamilton out of UConn, 20 uh, year old Daniel Hamilton, Jordan Hamilton's brother. Looks exactly like Jordan Hamilton, actually. They look, <laughs> they look outrageously alike. Uh, so, so when they they took Hamilton, what was your reaction there? Do you do you see him as someone who? I mean, I know his his shooting is not is not the greatest. Um, his his efficiency numbers weren't the most impressive while he was at UConn. There is the Kevin Ollie connection. Kevin Ollie is close with Kevin Durant. He's close with uh, you know Thunder people. He's a former Thunder player and is now the coach at UConn. So there had to be some amount of conversations there, I assume. Uh, what are your what were your thoughts on Hamilton as a prospect? Yeah, that was kind of an interesting pick. Um, I'm not super in on Daniel Hamilton as a prospect. I think that uh, obviously he has the shooting woes that you mentioned, but beyond that. He's not a very explosive athlete vertically, which is you know kind of a problem because it really didn't allow him to finish well at the rim. So whenever you're talking about a player that didn't finish well at the rim and can't shoot, I kind of wonder where that player's utility is. You know what I mean? Like It's really hard to find an offensive fit for him. Now, what Daniel Hamilton does really, really well that you can at least see some room for growth if he can improve the jump shot is that he's a tremendous passer. He can handle the ball reasonably well, and he can really, really create plays for others, which is uh, very, very valuable uh, whenever you're talking about an NBA that is increasingly becoming so motion and so uh, 
so ball movement uh, oriented. So if he can improve that jump shot, I think that that's going to be valuable. He's also a really good defensive rebounder. I wonder if his defensive value will translate to the NBA because he's not all that long. Uh, he's relatively quick, but not doesn't always give the best effort, I would say, defensively. So I wonder about that side of the floor a little bit too. But I'm going to be interested to see if the blue, which is a very strong developmental system there, uh, can kind of make something out of him because he is one of those guys that is kind of just a jump shot away from being like a 10th man in the NBA. But you can say that about so many different players. And I think they might've been uh, better off taking some other different players. And to be honest, I mean, it was probably a situation where they asked him and he might've been willing to be stashed because there were plenty of reports out there. And uh, I mean, I can tell you about a few guys probably, although I don't know if I can do it on this podcast that uh, were asked to be, if they wanted to be drafted, uh, if they would be willing to be stashed and said that, they were not willing to. They would accept the tender, the $500,000 non-guaranteed tender, to release their rights if they don't make the team and be able to sign elsewhere. So I think that Hamilton will probably be with the Blue the entire year. Uh, he's a long-term prospect given how much development he still needs to have in his game. But I guess you can take worse shots. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's really hard to knock any pick you make at 56 at any point. Uh, if you if you think you see something in a guy, if it's at 56, there is basically no risk there. Uh, you're, you're using up, especially when you're buying a pick, you're using up your $3.4 million. Well, with the Thunder, what remains of what they have with that $3.4 million because they had, they had used most of it. You can only spend $3.4 million within the calendar year on trades and transactions, and that includes buying picks. So the Thunder had about 730000 to spend, and they, wow. they probably spent close to that on buying Hamilton. Um, and and when, you, when, you go for, when you go for that, yeah, I mean, it's just – it's not – it's hard to knock, I think, a, a pick number 56 if you think you see something there. Even if the guy becomes a specialist at one thing, if he at all just sticks on a roster, it's a victory. I mean, if he, if he contributes for one game throughout the season – You've got yourself a victory if you're picking at 56 and he stays. So I don't. I think it's it's tough to tough to say it would work out poorly in any way possible. And you're right. the The Oklahoma City Blue, which is the Thunder's D League team, they do a really good job at cycling guys in now. Their campaign went down and came up. Mitch McGarry has been there and come up. Uh, Josh Eustis was, you know, they notoriously drafted Eustis and sent him directly there for an entire year. He wasn't even yeah. on the Thunder roster for what should have been his rookie season. He instead, he instead delayed his rookie contract for a year so he could get into the first round and play a year. Um, they've, they've done some innovative and smart stuff with their D-League team, and they have a good D-League coaching staff there. And if they can develop, you know, just one skill out of him and turn him into just an NBA player to any degree, that could – you know, that, that'll that'll look good for them by the end. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, like you said, this is the 56th overall pick. Uh, you can't really go wrong. And like I said, there are so many other factors that go into taking a guy at number 56 outside of skill, just in the situation of making sure that you get an asset that you can develop. Uh, like Jared Udhoff is a guy that I know didn't want to be stashed. Uh, I'm pretty sure Wayne Selden is a guy that didn't want to be stashed. Those guys are better prospects than Daniel Hamilton, but... You know, sometimes it's just worth, you know, taking a flyer on a guy that you know will be with your D-League system going forward. So, yeah, it's the 56th overall pick. It is what it is. Uh, Daniel will 
be okay, I would say, for them. For sure. So let's let's move on to something else. If you're so Sam, if you're a nerd like me, you're gonna be staying up until three AM Thursday night to follow <laughs> to follow free agency. The good uh, thing about me is I live on the West Coast, so it starts at nine PM for me. Oh, so that's I get true. to hang out and you know, like I said, because of this new employment situation, I get to just relax and, you know, <laughs> BS on Twitter about it. You guys have to you especially with Kevin Durant have to just deal with everything about it. And I feel sorry for you guys, but uh, it's going to be a fun year for sure because of the insanity that is this uh, season. Oh, do I have uh, do I have big news to cover on Thursday night? I wasn't aware of that. I'm not sure. I mean, is it? I mean, Kevin's probably not going to sign anywhere at 12.01, you know, so you'll probably be fine. I mean, you're yeah, going to have yeah, to, like, go. set an alarm every two hours or maybe, like, every <laughs> 15 minutes even. But yeah. <laughs> I'm sleeping I'm sleeping the Da Vinci way. Leonardo Da Vinci did what? He, he took naps every – he took, like, 30-minute naps every two or three hours or something like that. Although people say that's a brilliant strategy. Oh, look at how much yeah, – look at how he maximizes time. Didn't he die at, like, 37? So I don't know if uh, – <laughs> I don't know if that's the best strategy, but I might have to do that for for the first week of July if if Kevin Durant takes his time in free agency. Anyway, yeah, you're supposed to be in Vegas and meet up with me and get drinks in Vegas. You at least have to live for you know ten days. Exactly. Once starts. Exactly. Fair enough. So, just in case you were unaware of how free agency works, the clock turns over to July first. That's when. You know, players can start negotiating with teams. Durant specifically is actually meeting with the Thunder on June 30th. That's because he's technically still under contract until July 1st. So he can meet, players can meet with the teams that they're, you know, going to be, you know, that they would be re-signing with if they were to re-sign. So Durant can meet with the Thunder at any time. So he's actually meeting the 30th. Then it's been reported. He's actually flying to the Hamptons in New York. It's, I love, I love free agency because... There are always these inanimate characters in free agency that become sometimes bigger than the players. And so far over the last 24 hours or 48 hours, it's the Hamptons has become a legitimate character. And I keep seeing references to like Gossip Girl and White Chicks, and it's always funny. Uh, and 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 it's just, you know there's going to be more. Last year it was emojis and banana boats. You know there's going to be more. We're not even at July 1st yet, and we already have people freaking out about Kevin Durant going to the Hamptons. Anyway, he's going to meet with more teams out there. Um and uh you know going with going off of that there was the really interesting thing on the ringer a couple days ago uh it might have even been yesterday i mean the days kind of blend together at this stage uh once the nba draft ends for me but bill simmons wrote this thing about how one day like pat riley was just like walking along the beaches in malibu and kevin garnett and his wife like happened to walk by him and they stopped and talked for an hour like this stuff just happens you know like i don't think there's anything to be read into this but you're right like these inanimate objects like banana boats and uh, uh and you know deandre jordan's house come into uh, effect in a way that is so interesting and so hilarious to me that uh <laughs> it's just so funny to watch and just enjoy from the outside oh yeah or blake griffin's chair or yeah we have blake's chair that you know they're you know kidnapping deandre or whatever i love blake griffin for that stuff he's great Oh, he's he's one of the funniest uh, follows of any player on social media. He's he's really funny. Um, the Thunder have two of those guys who fit that category. Canner, Canner and Adams are great. I think at this point, Canner and Adams exclusively just tweet at each other, and they just have this like ridiculous sitcommy batter that just goes back and forth between each other, and that's basically their entire twitters. Did you see how like Inez Cantor almost like caused an international incident with his Twitter? Uh, I actually don't think I did, no. Yeah, and this Cantor, like, 
hold on, let me look up this story. Like, there was something weird. He, like, I, I don't even know, like, how to explain this. You guys should look it up, because I can't find it right now. But, like, there was something weird where, like, some sort of, like, Turkish national or something was in the United States, and Inez Cantor, like, tweeted about him or something, and it was, like, a big deal in Turkey. And that's all I know, like, off of the top of my head. But it was very strange, and, like, it was. I don't think it was something that, like, Inez Cantor, like, did purposefully or anything, like, and it wasn't his fault, but it was very strange. And maybe maybe we'll have to delete this entire conversation, because I don't know. <laughs> but, like, if, if, as long as I can find it, I will have Fred point you in the right direction. Okay. And if you can't find it, then I just get to mercilessly, mercilessly go at you on Twitter. That's the deal. Yes, yes. That's, that's accurate and fair. Anyway, Sam, so you will be staying up because you're on the West Coast. I'm wondering, it doesn't have to be Thunder-related. It doesn't have to be Durant-related. It doesn't have to be Dion Waiters-related. Waiters is also a free agent. He'll be restricted on July 1st. What's one unexpected thing you think is going to happen in free agency or just in the offseason in general? Does it have to be in relation to the Thunder or generally? Any Anything. Oh, man. Anything. Or the Thunder. You can keep it current. I That gets so tricky. Um Let's go with the Thunder, and I don't think anything weird's going to happen to Kevin Durant. I think Durant's going to sign the one plus one. Uh, that, that just makes too much sense to me, right? Like, uh, there, there are way too many financial incentives for him to sign this one plus one deal. What I think happens is I think Dwight Howard signs with Atlanta. Okay. After, I'm into that. He's from Atlanta. Yeah, and I guess it's, like, not all that, like, crazy of a prediction, but it's, like, a little bit uh, – Maybe of like a pseudo bold prediction, just because like you're calling out one team for a guy that could go to 25 other teams. But the reason I think Dwight goes to Atlanta is that I think Dwight, that's like the one place in the NBA where I think they can market him as a superstar. You know what I mean? And I think that's going to be incredibly valuable to him as he goes forward into his career. I think he wants that place where he can call home and where he can get comfortable again and kind of get back to his game. Because, like, people forget this now, but Dwight Howard was probably the best player in the NBA the year that Derrick Rose won his MVP award. Like, he should have won that MVP award. I feel strongly about this. Yeah, he was Uh, unbelievable. He was unbelievable that year. He was really amazing. and. They, they, they honestly, you could argue they should have they should have uh, repeated winning the East that year, too. They ended up losing before they get to the finals. They won the East in 2010. But uh, they were, yeah, I mean, you're right. He was unbelievable that year. Yeah, he really was. Like, And I think that the last few years have taken off a little bit of the luster of what he can do. But having said that, like, this is a situation where if you go to Atlanta and you become, like, Atlanta's... After, if, like, Al Horford leaves, I don't want to say after, if out there Al Horford leaves, but, like, if Al Horford leaves, you could really become their, like, their all-pseudo-savior, I guess. Like, if you can lead them to, you know, success going forward. And I don't know how great of a fit he is with Mike Mutenholzer, but I, I would like that fit. I would like to see what he can do in a hometown, because I would like to see him comfortable again, and I would like to see him successful again. So that's what I'll say. I'll say he goes to Atlanta. Yeah, you know, the Dwight Howard thing is so interesting to me because I think it shows how expectation warps our perceptions, right? Yeah. I mean, Dwight Dwight Howard, because he was at one point comfortably the best center in the NBA and uh-huh. comfortably the best defensive player in the NBA, I mean, he won, what, four straight Defensive Player of the Year awards. Like, because he was so great in a market that is not 
I mean, he got a lot of media attention, but he wasn't in a market that was going to destroy him at any small, you know, mistake like he was with the Lakers or if he had been with the Knicks or whatnot. Sure. Um, you know, he was in a market that was happy to accept him because he was in Orlando and he was winning and he was a tremendous player and they weren't really preying on his limitations. Dwight Howard is obviously not the player that he was in 2010. I'm not yeah. arguing that. It's there's it's it's not close. He's not close to the player he was in 2010. He's completely different on the defensive end. Um, he still is yeah. capable of making an impact, but he's not near the rim protector that he once was. He's not the finisher that he once was on the offensive end. He's still a great rebounder. Back injury is just kind of sapped explosiveness. Oh, from. yeah, a hundred percent. There's it's for certain, but at the same time, Dwight Howard is an above-average NBA player. And I hear people talking. I was watching a show earlier this morning, and I heard someone who's supposed to know he's talking about called Dwight Howard trash. So Dwight Howard is not trash. Look, I don't want to give Dwight Howard a max contract. Dwight Howard is not trash. Dwight Howard is still a good NBA player who can make an impact when he's on the floor. And just based on his name and his reputation, so much of making an impact on, on a floor in the NBA is your reputation. Yeah. I mean, look, we talk about spacing. Spacing's not about shooting. It's about whether guys will guard you. Now, often that has to do with how good of a shooter you are. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, Tom Haberstroh has written about how uh, he, he has a gravity rating, which is, yeah. which is how basically what shooters pull out guys to the wings the most. And you would think Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and those guys obviously do have great gravity ratings. But the guy who was number one in the league for him was Dwayne Wade, who's not a three-point shooter. And he said he talked about it with Wade, and Wade was saying, oh, that makes so much sense. I don't know why guys keep guarding me out there. It's a reputation <laughs> thing. It's a respect thing. Dwayne Wade doesn't hit threes, but guys keep closing out on him. And you talk about NBA players with this. NBA players are more likely to close out on someone who has the track record, even if it's not backed up within the last year or two or three, or they just can't do that anymore. And Dwight Howard has a similar effect with deterring guys at the rim. No, he's not the rim protector he once was. And no, he's not even a great rim protector right now. But you still see moments where guys come into the lane and they turn away because they see Dwight Howard there. And he still gets his occasional block shots. He still is able to, to, to man a guy around the paint. Uh, he's, he's a capable player. And it's because he set the expectation so high and probably because the teardown in L.A. was so extreme that it just kind of continued in Houston. And, and it's just... It's a strange phenomenon that we consider someone like Dwight Howard not a good player uh, when, he, when he still is. Here's what I'll say about Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard averaged 14 points, 12 rebounds, and nearly two blocks a game last year while shooting 62% from the field. If that's not an above-average player while he's still providing at least a modicum of rim protection, I mean, he's still an above-average rim protector, if not the hyper-elite rim protector he was at one point. What are we talking about here? Like, this guy can play. I mean, I get that he's not the traditional post-up threat, but if you put him in a pick-and-roll heavy scheme, and if you put him in a situation where you can give him initial post-touches early in the game to make him happy, like, what are we talking about here? Dwight Howard can play basketball. Like, he is worth a $20 million contract in this market. Not even a question in my mind. Whether or not he's worth his max of right around 30, I think that that's debatable. But... I mean, we're still talking about a you know four-year, a hundred million-dollar player at worst here, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean for sure, Sam. Before you go, we're going to get ready on it. But before you go, I want to bring up you. You mentioned that you think uh, that Durant is going to take the one-in-one -one deal. That's a one-year deal with a player option. Sure, become a free agent again in 2017. That obviously makes the most sense for him financially. I have a piece up on that. 
uh, from yesterday. You can check out Thunder Road on the Norman Transcript site. Just go to the Sports tab and, and go under there and you'll see Thunder Road. Uh, you can go and check out basically just the details of why a one-year deal makes the most sense financially and is actually less risky in some ways than taking a long-term deal, a five-year deal with the Thunder, or a four-year deal elsewhere. Um, I agree with you. I think it's going to take the one-on-one. It just makes too much sense financially. I, I want to get your opinion on Dion Waiters. Yesterday, we had a report, or I should say Tuesday, we had a report that Mike Scott from Mike Scotto of the Associated Press and Sheridan Hoops that the Kings were interested in Waiters and the Sixers, Dion's hometown team, were interested in Waiters. Uh, do you think that the Oladipo trade makes makes waiters more well? The Oladipo trade does make waiters more expendable. But do you think that's something the Thunder should execute on, or do you think they end up bringing him back? Well, it's always so hard to tell with these restricted free agency situations, right? Because do you try and like execute some random sign and trade where you get the guy, uh, like you get value for the guy, and you know you let him go even though he doesn't really fit, or you try and keep the valued player and maybe trade him? You know, moving forward, and then the on waiter situation is just so incredibly complicated because we don't know how valuable he is as a player yet, despite him being in the league for four years. He showed some value on a winning team in the playoffs, certainly, and his explosiveness in terms of what he can do offensively at times is very valuable. He just needs to, and he's continuing to do this every single season. But like, he needs to continue to learn to play within himself at times. To me, he's probably best as a sixth man. But do you need that if you're Oklahoma City, if you're going to try and stagger minutes a little bit between Victor Oladipo and Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant and you know do all of the right things there? I'm not convinced. I think that he's one of the more interesting free agents in this market. Like if he would go to a place like was rumored yesterday, like Sacramento, I kind of like his fit there. Like it's, it's a weird thing, but I mean, assuming he's not getting paid more than like $12 million a year or something, which I think is probably where his market's going to, you know, kind of, kind of bear out. uh, I don't hate that at all. And if he stays with Oklahoma city for $12 million a year on a four year deal, I don't think that's all that crazy given what they have coming up in terms of uh, needing to figure out uh, what they're going to do for the future. I think that Oklahoma city is probably best, spent by keeping as many assets as they can in a lot of ways. Uh, they need to make sure that they're set after. And that's what made this, you know, to kind of tying it full circle with how we started, that's what made this Sabonis, Ilyasova, and uh, Oladipo trade so useful for them, I think. They get an A-plus for this deal, I think. They traded one year of Serge Ibaka for four years of Demonis Sabonis, plus the potential for four more. For one year of Victor Oladipo on a rookie deal, plus the potential for four more, plus Ersan Ilyasova. So they're good going into the future, as well as if they keep Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook in town for a long time. And whether or not Dion Waiters fits there, I'm going to be very interested to see. That's actually going to do it for us today. Sam, do you want to give out the Twitter handle or plug anything before we sign off? Yeah, Sam underscore Vecini, V-E-C-E-N-I-E. I don't really have too too much to plug. I mean, uh, yeah, just come follow me. I follow my work on, uh, you know, I guess on Twitter while I'm covering the uh, free agency period just for fun. But uh, 
we'll have a good time. Just uh, come follow me, and I think we'll be in good shape. All right, follow Sam, especially if you're a college basketball fan. And remember, Thursday night, as soon as the clock goes to midnight into Friday, we have free agency. News is going to start coming out right away. It always does. Could be tough to keep up with. To follow, you can stay updated by checking out Thunder Road. That's, as I said before, on the Norm- on normantranscript.com slash sports slash Thunder Road, or you can find us under the sports tab on our website. You can find me on Twitter at Fred Katz. I'll be staying up late night Thursday night with Jay King of Locked On Celtics. I actually did the first episode of Locked On Thunder with him on Tuesday. You can check that out on our archive. We're going to be doing another pod talking all free agency as updated as possible for the morning. We're going to try to record it at like 3.30 a.m. Eastern time, and I'll be in Orlando then for Summer League. Until then, it's been fun. See you next time. Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details.